Chapter Ten of The Wind by Dorothy Scarborough. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in September two thousand twenty one. Chapter Ten. Afterward, Roddy's visit, Letty's nervous lethargy deepened. It was as if some long anticipated event had taken place, leaving a queer emptiness in the world because now nothing was to be expected. Ever since Letty had said good-bye to him that night at the station in Sweetwater, and watched the train vanish in a swirl of wind, she had looked for him to return. Consciously or unconsciously, she had expected him. Up to the time of her marriage, she had counted on his dashing up as a figure of romance, to relieve her of the unhappiness that Cora's tyranny imposed on her. Somehow he would change things. Would he not have power even over the wind? She had not definitely thought of him as a wooer, had not pictured marriage, but had merely dazzled her dull environment with romantic imagery of rescue and change. He would open the door of her prison and show her a way of flight. Since her marriage she had been too inert to be actively interested in him, or in anything, but she had made an effort, according to her ideals of wifehood that must be dutiful, even though unwilling, to put him out of her conscious mind. A married woman shouldn't be thinking of any other man. But he had not gone, for frequently he had risen to the surface of her languid musings, electrifying them to life, had given a tingling colour to hours that otherwise were as empty as the grey sand. He was a man that would not be forgotten. The very thought of him seemed, with casual insolence, to dare one to ignore him. She could see his lip curl with amused scorn at the idea, could catch the flicker of his black eyelashes over ironic eyes as he challenged her to forget him, if she could. He was always aware of himself, in much the same way that Cora was of herself, though with more subtlety, more suavity, more worldly poise instead of her forthright methods. His egoism was a rapier thrust while Cora's knocked you down with a stick of stove-wood if you got in her way. Well, she hadn't forgotten him, but she must, she told herself. Thinking about him upset her. That was bad enough, but the thought of him might cause disturbance between her and Lige, or between him and Lige, or between her husband and his partner. The situation held a danger, anyway you looked at it. Thinking was a mental ferment that might lead to explosions, and wreckage, if you didn't watch out. She would forget him, if she had to remember to remind herself every hour of the day. She spoke no more to her husband, nor he to her, of word Roddy or his visit, but often as she looked at Lige she wondered what was in his thought. She scarcely knew this calm and quiet man she lived with. She didn't know him. She was only married to him. She realized the steady strength of him, his sure wisdom in everyday practicality, his sane justice. But she felt that there might be passions, swift and vehement, to which he could be roused that as yet she knew nothing about. She had never heard his voice raised in anger or impatience, yet she dimly comprehended that there were in his nature possibilities of wrath as resistless as a cyclone. Only some extraordinary occasion would call forth rage in him, she felt sure, as he probably would live his placid life out without any such disturbance. He would never seek trouble. She watched him often as the spring days passed into summer. He might be good-looking if he shaved oftener and took better care of himself and of his clothes, like the men she had known in Virginia. But his hard life made him too careless. She shivered with repulsion when she saw him unshaved, with a dirty shirt on, covered with dust from the range, 
with his heavy boots that scarcely knew what a polishing meant and the repulsion deepened when she had to wash his dirty shirts she who had never had to wash so much as a pocket-handkerchief in her girlhood at home and he seemed to take her drudgery too much for granted as if it were natural that a woman should wash and cook and clean up for her man such things were expected of pioneer wives but she wasn't a pioneer and she hadn't wanted to be a wife life had compelled her against her will life and cora and the relentless wind one sunday bev and cora and the children drove over to spend the day with her she hadn't seen cora since her marriage and had almost hoped never to see her again she knew with a woman's sure intuitiveness that cora still blamed her for her quarrel with bev and she on her side had felt too bitterly resentful to make any advances toward reconciliation the fact that she was not happy had shut a door between them if hers had been a love marriage if she had been happy and content she could joyously have gone all the way to be friends again but when she remembered how cora's hardness and fiery jealousy without cause had driven her into this uncongenial environment this blind alley from which she could not hope to escape she felt a surge of anger almost of hatred if cora had not in her selfish egotism misjudged her she might have had time to find herself to work out a better way from her problems she had seen beth a few times for brief glimpses since her marriage when neither had dared speak of what was in their hearts or do more than hint sympathy and encouragement now she told herself she must be more distant to him for fear cora would misunderstand and be jealous again i am so glad to see you all she said but cora i'm ashamed for you to see my house so cluttered up cora's housewifely eye swept the shack and passed judgment on the sand and disorder she saw but her tongue withheld criticism oh with this terrible wind blowing sand everywhere nobody can keep a clean house she said formally but letty read in her look you ought to do better than this and the truth hurt for she realized her shortcomings as a housekeeper she couldn't put any heart into the work and then too she had never had any training to fit her for it at home mammy had treated her like a child that couldn't even wait on herself properly for she dearly loved to wait on her baby if mammy could see her in her present life cooking and washing and scrubbing even picking up cow chips from the prairies sometimes to use as fuel and cooking in that stingy way without the things to do with or the food to cook how mammy would curl her lip in pitying scorn at her baby's sunday dinner and company come in too as she bustled about preparing dinner for her guests letty told herself for the hundredth time that girls ought to be trained to work to support themselves so that misfortune couldn't overwhelm them as it had her to be expected to be a competent pioneer heroine and wife without warning or preparation was like being drowned suddenly or smothered in an avalanche of sand little alice shyly trotted everywhere after letty but with cautious glances at her mother obviously realizing her fiery jealousy and fearful of kindling it but adoring letty as ever i don't like you to be married the child said to letty as she stood by the stove frying ham letty almost flashed back neither do i but she caught her words in time horrified at the instinctive impulse of revelation she smiled at alice and said i miss you little folks a lot since you've been gone i don't have nobody to play with mourned alice ironically letty thought neither do i 
she held up her hand to protect her face from the sputtering hot grease and it served as a shield for her eyes as well to hide them from the child the boys think they're smarter than me and they don't let me know how to play their games boys don't know much about girls do they little alice asked letty with a twisting fugitive smile not much said alice proudly passing the fork for her to turn the ham with her face lighted with love so that for a moment it was actually pretty letty felt a sudden ache of pity for the child some day she would be a woman with her sensitive soul athrill with dreams with ideals of life and love that perhaps the plain face would render futile what would life do to little alice would it fling her unready into the arms of a husband she didn't love would it break her heart in loneliness or send her to serve as a patient drudge in some other woman's house if only she could snatch little alice in her arms and run away from the cruel world with her papa used to play with me but he's most generally too tired now of nights went on alice don't he feel well asked letty with quick anxiety i don't know he's just tired i reckon mother says he's mopey maybe he's worried about the drought suggested letty men have a lot of things to worry them come to think of it they've got the living to make you know i'm going to make a living myself when i'm grown boasted the child that'll be fine i hope you will big buddy says i ain't pretty so nobody'll ever want to marry me do you think i ain't pretty a bit she peered wistfully at the woman letty gave her a quick hug to me you're the sweetest prettiest little girl i know and all sorts of lovely things are going to happen to you when you're grown you can make them happen little alice if only you don't get in a hurry about life or let anybody push you too fast take your time the small face brightened as if someone had lighted rose candles within her breast i will i won't she declared joyously letty sent a defiant adjuration to fate to be kind to little alice for a moment she felt that it didn't matter what happened to her if only little alice could be happy and ordinary happiness wouldn't do for alice any more than for herself each was an idealist sensitive too easily hurt from the other room came the sound of high boyish laughter and cora's chatter with sourdough lige poked a face in the doorway chuck most ready pretty soon she said i'll set the table for you no me cut in alice all right stambueno but get a shove on cause i'm most ready to pass out with hunger he withdrew to the other room to talk with beth presently letty summoned them in to dinner it was a tight squeeze to get them all seated round the table in the small kitchen but the feat was accomplished with laughter which helped to ease the social strain letty her face flushed from the heat of the stove presided and urged upon her guests the plain fare fried ham grits the eternal frijoles biscuit that had too much soda in them and canned peaches for dessert even if she had known the guests were coming she told herself she had no materials to serve a better meal but oh she might have had her house shining clean she writhed as she read cora's contemptuous thoughts the men chatted on unaware of what the women were thinking how your cattle holding out in the drought lige asked bev cora rushed in to answer for him i got my brothers to drive most of his herd to free lands northeast where they took theirs that was a good hunch said lige soberly 
Sourdough is aiming to start right soon with as many of ours as can stand the trip. But there's a lot of em that are so poor they couldn't make it. They'll have to take their chances here. Slim chances they are too, with feet so high and costing so much to haul it that it would break a man to try to do it. Beth wanted to go along with his cattle, but I knew he wasn't strong enough to stand the trip, said Cora. Ah, hard riding and camping out nights is no job for a man that's had lung trouble. You never know when you'll start something again. He looks well now, said Letty. She felt that perhaps Bev was sensitive about his ailment, his disability, and resented Cora's lack of tact in parading it. Bev smiled indulgently. Cora keeps a sharp eye out for me, and a good thing that she does too, I guess. Yep, I watch him like a hawk. I ain't ambitious to be a widow, for I don't think crepe will be becoming to my style of beauty at all, said his wife emphatically. When are you going to start your bunch off, Lige? asked Bev. Sourdough is aiming to go with him in a couple of days now. I'll start with him and go a little piece, and then I'll come back to stay with Letty and look after the ones that are left here. It was, in fact, the next day that Lige and Sourdough began to round up the cattle in preparation for taking them to the free lands in sections where rain had fallen and where there was grazing. The plan was for him to go, in company with two other men, to drive the cattle to the neighborhood of Devil's River, about 150 miles southwest of them, and try their chances there. The other man who had gone scouting had reported that the grass was better there, and there was water for the cattle. It was a hard task to gather the cattle together, scattered as they were over the vast unfenced pastures, mixed in with cattle of many other ranchmen. The creatures were not only wild, according to their nature, but they were nervous and frightened, and high-strung on account of their famished condition. They seemed to realize that this roundup was unusual, out of time, not a regular affair like the spring and fall roundup, and so they were suspicious and hard to manage. Lige and Sourdough worked the range for miles and miles, closing in on groups of cattle here and there, and heading them toward a central point not far from the ranch house, from which they planned to make a start for the drive to Devil's River. But the animals would break away from their control and scatter to run back in all directions. Full of tricky impulses, nervous from fear, and wild and intractable as well as stubborn, they made the task of collecting them very hard for the two men. From the window, as she watched, Letty tried to see what was happening, since the day was clear and windless, so that no sand was blown to obscure the vision, and the extraordinary clearness of the atmosphere made it possible to see objects on the rolling plains for long distances. She was moved with pity, alike for the struggling men and for the scared beasts that could not understand what was being attempted. Two days they worked at the seemingly hopeless task, but by nightfall of the second day they had succeeded in bunching about half of the herd and would start the drive next morning. Lige came in, exhausted. We've had a hell of a time getting these cow brutes herded, he said, as he slumped down into a chair and leaned his arms on the table. They've been starved so long that they're more'n half mad. We didn't get more'n half of them together, work as hard as we could. I'm wore out. His face was streaked with dirt and sweat, his hair dishevelled, his attitude one of fatigue and dejection. He went on to explain the situation to her. I got to stand night guard over the bunch tonight, so sourdough can be fresh to start tomorrow morning early. Would you be scared to stay here at the house by yourself? Oh, yes, I would, she quavered. 
I could get old Pedro to sleep in the kitchen, though I was aiming to have him help me with the cattle, he offered. I'd rather go with you. Let me do that, Lige. He smiled a tired smile. You never sat up all night on the plains with a bunch of wild cattle that's liable to stampede any time. Don't take nothing to start a bunch when it's restless and suspicious as these are now. Let me try it this once, she pleaded. I'm afraid to stay here without you, and I wouldn't be so scared on the plains tonight because the wind's not blowing. Please, Lige. All right he said slowly, too tired to argue with her. I reckon there ain't no real danger with me and Pedro both on the job. It'll be something different from anything you've ever done. And so it was, she found out. It was an experience that she would never forget, she told herself often during the night. Lige made a fire on the ground to keep her warm and spread a bed of blankets for her, a little distance away from the cattle, which he had at last succeeded in bedding down, or getting settled to rest and sleep. He and old Pedro took turns staying with her, and circling round and round the herd on horseback to keep them in place. It was a weird and impressive picture, the flaring firelight where she sat huddled in blankets, the vast empty plains silver-grey with the unearthly radiance of moonlight, the cattle bunched together in a mass of dark bodies and long horns like polished spears in the moonlight. At the least sign of restlessness in the cattle, Lige would begin to circle round them, singing to them some cowboy song, dolorous, monotonous, soothing in its sad strains. The cattle, tired from their two-day struggle, at last became quiet and slept. Then Letty rested, too, with Pedro keeping guard over her, and Lige a silent watcher by the cattle. She felt like some being in another world, in a life alien to anything she had ever known, as she lay, half awake, half asleep, there on the hard ground, under the white tent of the sky, with the wind blowing on her face. Would the wild cattle stampede suddenly and trample her to death? But Lige was watching over her and them. And so she slept. The next morning, by daybreak, Lige and Sourdough were making preparations for the start for their drive. Letty gave them breakfast by lamplight and watched them mount their horses before the first streak of colour came in the sky, and called out her, "'Good-bye and good luck!' to them. But the cattle, rested from the night's sleep, were more active than ever, and seemed suspicious of danger. As the dark, moving mass came nearer the ranch-house, when the drive begun, they were showing signs of panic. Would the men be able to control them? Would they stampede in spite of what could be done? Long horns tossed wildly in the air, bodies lunged and plunged against each other, and the brutes began a mad bellowing. The fear of each intensified the fear of the others, and the mass surged forward, uncontrollable with rage and fright. The stampede that Lige had been afraid of had come. Thrilled by the sight, so novel and strange to her, yet terrified of what might happen to the two men, Letty watched from the door. Lige and Sourdough were riding desperately to try to keep the herd together, to keep the cattle from scattering all over the range again, and rendering their hard toil of no avail. She could see them circling round and round the lunging, plunging mass, and above the lowing and bellowing of the beasts, their voices rose in shouts and calls to quiet them. The stampede swept on, till the dark mass was hid in the cloud of sand it raised about it, so that the woman, waiting at the door, could not see what was happening. Would the men be able to hold the herd? And turn them, circle them, till they wore them out and get them under control again? 
or would the maddened beasts trample them underfoot to their death? All day Letty walked the floor in a fever of fear. She pictured the bodies of the men lying face downward in the sand, while the avalanche of cattle that had swept over them passed on. Who would be left to bear her the news? She felt as never before the desolation of this lonely land, where human habitations, human faces, were so few, so few, so far away. What would happen to her there, helpless, if Lige and Sourdough never came back? She could not walk the ten miles to the nearest ranch. Perhaps no passer-by might come for days on days. Perhaps the men had not been killed but were lying wounded and helpless, in need of aid, with no one nigh to give it. Night came, and Lige had not returned. Would he ever come back? Letty lighted the lamp and set it in the window, so that he could see its glimmer from afar if he should be on his way home. She had supper ready, in case he should be there to eat it. Then she folded her hands in an agony of helplessness and waited. The wind was mercifully still, so that she did not suffer tortures of fear of it, as she had that night of the storm at Bev's house, but she imagined that it was quiet with some purpose in view. Was it stealing up on tiptoe, to peer into the window at her, to listen to hear if she cried aloud, to eavesdrop her heartbeats and her thoughts? That would be just like the evil, treacherous wind. As her terror began to mount unbearably because of the wind's crafty stillness, she heard the sound of galloping hoofs in the sand, and she hushed her very breathing. Then the door sprang open, and Lige staggered in, dropping with fatigue. She had never seen a man look so worn out, so completely used up. His eyes were bleared and bloodshot, and half closed for lack of sleep. His face was lined with exhaustion and covered with dirt and sweat, and his whole body sagged as if the backbone had been taken from it. He dropped into a chair, too spent to speak at first. She ran to him, brought water to bathe his face, eased off his heavy boots from his swollen feet, and held a cup of coffee to his parched lips. "'Poor fellow, so tired,' she murmured, with tears in her eyes for his sufferings. When he had recovered enough so that he could eat the food she had prepared for him, she waited on him with eager solicitude for his every wish, and then turned the covers of the bed back for him, so that he might drag himself to rest. "'How did you stop the stampede?' she asked. "'Oh, we kept circling round and round em till we got em wore out. But it pretty nigh wore us out first. But we caught up with the rest of the bunch that are goin, and sour though would not have any more trouble much with em now.' How long will it take Sourdough to get to where they are going? About ten days or so to get to Devil's River. The critters are so weak they can't travel more'n about a dozen miles a day. Trail drivers usually can make fifteen, but these beasts are too feeble. After that, for a time, from day to day would come rumors to Lige that some of the cattle were in various places. He would go out and work the range to bring them in, in an effort to collect them near the last water-hole that had any water in it. That was near the ranch-house. Gradually he got a fair number of them rounded up, almost as many as the herd that Sourdough had driven away with them. Some had died from starvation and thirst, and some were so weak that they seemed on their last legs but maybe they could hold out till it rained, Lige said. But rain would have to come soon. The weeks that should have been late spring passed into summer, and still no rain came, a strange cycle of days that mocked their name, May. 
as in a stupor of pain letty visioned may at home in virginia saw with reminiscent eyes each aspect of its loveliness felt with aching physical senses each forest odour each vagrant breeze smoothness of leaf and fern coolness of water heard each bird song each woodland sound she lived a divided life one of the body there on the prairie desert in the drought the other of the spirit where she was back at home in the country in virginia sometimes she asked herself in perturbation and fright if her homesickness and sufferings were making her a little flighty back in virginia the birds would be singing and building their nests here no birds sang for there were none they had perished of hunger or had flown away to greener kindlier climes the wrens in the boxes by the old side porch would be starting their households anew with twitterings and flutterings and soft calls to each other such tiny grey birds vocal with love and delight there would be song sparrows making their nests low near the ground in tangles of rose vines in blackberry clumps they would stop in their toil now and then to teeter on some swaying vine and practice their sweet soft song the same each spring but with subtle variations to express each little love story the catbirds would be wrangling at each other across the old lawn their voices shrill in objurgations their funny flat tails quivering and jerking with wrath they would dance across the grass with mincing finical steps then make a sudden swoop at some enemy or some insect catbirds were amusing things there would be cardinals flashing like sudden gay thoughts of beauty through the green stillness uttering their wild sweet trills here the sand stretched lifeless and greyish yellow with never blade of green oh for a cardinal's wing to flit over its deadness she could see the hummingbirds on wings as swift and as invisible as light dart among the blossoms of the honeysuckles their bodies poised for an instant over the cream or coral chalices their wings whirring rapturously as their needle-sharp beaks pierced into the cups to drink of the nectar spring had distilled for them she could hear their sharp almost inaudible cries of delight there would be bluebirds like flashing hints of heaven through the wood's greenness her eyes ached to see the pure healing colour of a bluebird once again she thought of the flocks of indigo buntings she used sometimes to see in the fields about home bright little birds ineffably blue flying in happy companionship like blossoms that had taken life and wing and soared out to see the world that god called good she could hear the calls of the bob whites as they would go stealing through the grain fields at early morning their voices sounding dewy as the dawn clear as a lad's whistle to his mate oh to be awakened once more from girlhood's sleep to hear the bob whites calling to each other in the fields back home bob white bob white all right all right cries that soothed and challenged in one breath oh for a life that soothed and challenged instead of this dead monotony of sand and drudgery and wifehood without love of ruthless winds that were at you night and day when sourdough came back from his cattle drive he was lean and haggard and hollow-eyed but he had not lost his spirit he recounted some of the hardships he and his companions had experienced in getting their herds to devil's river when we got close to the water-hole at the end of the first day the critters were so famished that they stampeded again trying to get to drink as quick as possible some of em was trampled to death and some drunk so hard they wasn't able to move no more but we finally got the most of the bunch started again next day and we kept goin 
but it was the meanest drive I ever had anything to do with. Do you reckon there'll be grass enough round where you took em to keep em going till it rains here? asked Lige anxiously. Yep, I reckon. Never can tell, though. I don't know but what we'd a done better to have took em over toward Yellowhouse Canyon as some fellers did. But it's mostly a chanked, anyway, for who can tell where it's going to rain first? They say all signs fail in Texas, and I think they're blamed right. When he had recovered from his excessive fatigue, Sourdough began to tell Letty some of the amusing incidents of the drive, and dramatized for her his own ludicrous efforts, and those of his companions, to outwit the crazed cattle. He was a clown still, she told herself, facing his hard luck with a joke, laughing to hide his despair. Letty winced daily at seeing the tragic buffoonery of these two cowboys, put on partly for her benefit, to keep her from knowing how serious the situation was, and partly because it was their nature to conceal their deeper feelings under a mask of humour. But when she looked at their faces in repose, when they were off guard, she saw more than they meant to reveal. Those stern, sad faces told a different story. She felt an infinite pity for these two brave men, and a still greater pity for herself. All this was their life, their destiny. They were used to it, and knew how to bear it while she had been thrust into it against her will, crying out against the sacrifice. Should she ever be able to give the faithful sourdough the friendship he deserved? He asked so little, yet he loved her deeply in his way, she knew, as loyal to Lige as to her. Now she was too preoccupied with her own wretchedness to give much thought to him, or what she might do for him to make his lot happier. And what of Lige? Were she and her husband moving toward each other, or drifting hopelessly apart? They were like two lost figures in a mist, stretching out hands to each other, but unable to see clearly or to think of the future. She had ideals of marriage which she had never consciously formulated, but which had risen out of her childhood memories of her mother's loyalty to her father. Latent memories of a thousand tendernesses between them wounded her, rebuked her. She reproached herself that she was not living up to those ideals, but she shrank from the moral effort that would have involved. And anyhow, her mother had loved her father and had married him from choice, which made it different, she rebelliously told herself. She hadn't been driven to it against her will. One day in June, when Lige and Sourdough were out on the range, Word Roddy came again. Some electricity in the air, some tingle in her blood, some prescience of spirit, had told Letty that something different was about to happen. She had begun to believe in clairvoyance, and so she had her room clean and in order, her hair smoothly dressed her calico house-dress exchanged for a little muslin from another summer, whose blue matched her eyes and the ribbon on her hair. The dress was somewhat faded from washing, as her eyes were a trifle dimmed from her tears. Still, each blue was like that of periwinkles in an old-fashioned garden. She kept looking expectantly at the road, and she was scarcely surprised when Wert Roddy dismounted at the door. Only a leap of her heart told her that her clairvoyance had been right, that her psychic instinct was true, that she could feel in advance what was going to happen to her. She greeted him simply, though she was tremulous. "'How do you do?' she said, as she gave him a chill hand, a hand that trembled in spite of her efforts to keep it still. "'Will you come in and have a seat?' surest thing in the world he said lightly yet he too looked as if the drought or something had touched him a trifle 
his manner was jaunty as of old but his eyes were less glinting with alert life he was thinner and his face showed strain of fatigue or anxious thought lige and sourdough are out seeing about the cattle she told him but they'll be in soon he seated himself in the old rawhide chair and leaned back to take his ease are they still trying to call down rain from heaven he jibed what does it matter if all these wretched cattle do die when she would have protested he put up a hand toward of interruption not that i mind the absence of the two gentlemen in question their not being here doesn't distress me in the least she flushed resentfully at his words his tone again she felt the old fluttering fear of him that recurred from time to time why had he come back he answered her thought i'm on my way to see a fellow about some land a deal i've got on he's coming from deathsmith county to meet me i thought i'd drop in and see you as i passed there's no harm in a howdy is there why no she stammered i'm glad to see you and lige will be in pretty soon why couldn't she be calm in his presence there was no other that had ever upset her so and he did it knowingly enjoyingly she told herself hotly as a cat would play with a bird watching it flutter and tremble and try to escape they talked disjointedly of casual things with surface speech that meant nothing had any one heard yet underneath the commonplaceness of their words the woman felt strange surgings of soul riotous fears and raptures was shaken by tumultuous emotions she did not understand saw as in a crystal ball at which she gazed with tranced eyes another self another being she had never known she was or could be and she saw that he read her soul he saw too he saw the quiet figure that sat before him with thin hands folded in her lap with frightened eyes fixed on his and he saw through it this other problematic soul why didn't lige come home she stirred uneasily and made conversation when do you think the drought will end if it ever does he answered gloomily worst outlook i ever saw for the cattlemen things were getting prosperous with us too we'd had a boom in the cattle business for the last few years since the early seventies she drew an easier breath cattle were such a safe topic of conversation so impersonal he smiled as if seeing her thought and talked on to humour her now many a little rancher will be wiped out and cow-punchers will have to find new jobs i don't know much about the business she said only i feel sorry for the men that are losing all they have and for the poor cattle that suffer so i can hardly sleep at night for thinking of them all prices of beef cattle rose from about the seventies up to a year or so ago since then they've been going down too many herds have been driven to the northern markets and too many herds are getting a start in other places closer to the packing-houses than texas is lige says he don't know what they are all going to do she said her face shadowed by foreboding it's damned hard on the fellers that haven't got any backing when a man's bunch of cattle is all he's got and that's wiped out where is he she shivered at thought of lige cattle business isn't a wild romance anyhow that it used to be not the same sport in it he went on tell me about it she said a reminiscent look came into his eyes as he gazed out toward the prairie the texas cowboy took up the job of the mexican vaquero 
he had to capture and gentle the wild cattle from the plains spanish longhorns descended from those that had been left behind maybe when the spaniards quit texas or maybe when the mexicans were beaten and driven back by the texans in the texas revolution these wild things had never known a lariat or a branding iron devils they were too how could they capture wild cattle he smiled singing to them was one way you don't believe it no the cowpunchers would scatter out so they could circle in on the bunch of wild cattle they wanted to get night-time pitch dark save then they'd begin to sing soft and monotonous what they sang was a sort of tune without words to it they called it the texas lullaby she remembered lige as he sang to the cattle that night to keep them from stampeding and did it work you bet lot of wild things can be gentled and caught if you sing to em she visioned these fierce cattle trembling with rage and fright hearing a wordless song in the night that stilled them and led to their capture long horns tossing madly in the air bodies surging to and fro the herd ready to stampede bellowing and pawing the ground and in the distance the treacherous music closing in on them you make music sound cruel and tricky and false she cried me no i wasn't doing the singing myself i have never done much taking of wild cattle but if it took that to save my herd or get me what i wanted very much then i reckon i'd try to carry a tune lige says cowboys think to their herds all night when they are driving them up the trail to keep them together yes it works that way when cattle get to milling around too much they're liable to stampede and go over a bluff or run themselves near to death you got to sing to em to quiet them cowboys have all sorts of songs they know yes i hear sourdough singing them sometimes pretty sad some of them are yes he mused tapping his spurs with the handle of his riding cord presently he sang under his breath absent-mindedly a song she had not heard before as i walked out on the streets of laredo as i walked out in laredo one day i spied a poor cowboy wrapped up in white linen wrapped up in white linen as cold as the clay oh beat the drum slowly and play the fife lowly play the dead march as you bear me along take me to the green valley and lay the sod over me for i'm a young cowboy and i know i've done wrong you'd have to take him a long way from here wouldn't you asked letty her eyes dim with tears here there's no green valley just a wilderness of sand i think i mentioned to you just how cheerful it would be didn't i he mocked her face burned much good telling me could do his face clouded sobered and his sombre eyes gazed past her as if looking at a prospect she did not see with him ah yes i reckon you're right about that her eyes questioned his mutely as to his meaning but he merely hummed a tune as he tapped his spurs with his quirt noon came and still lige and sourdough had not come back they must be having trouble with the cattle in some far place on the range so letty prepared the meal and set the table for four but there were only the two of them to sit down to eat when they had finished he said good-bye in a manner somewhat constrained without his lightness of tone or gesture his teasing mystery of glance he mounted his horse and rode away without waving his hand back to her as he had done the other time why she asked herself 
had she done or said or thought anything to offend him scarcely had he gone when lige and sourdough rode up since they came from the direction which he had taken she knew that they must surely have passed him less than a mile from the house they would know then that he had been there she felt guilty of some wrong-doing though she could not have said what it was she had not asked a man to come lige and sourdough strode into the house in a silence that struck her as foreboding they glanced around noting the unusual order of the room her blue dress the ribbon in her hair they looked through the door into the kitchen where the table was set for four but where dishes showing that two had eaten were still cluttered on the table that had a white cloth on it instead of the oilcloth. Lige's face had a bleak look, like the sky before a norther comes. "'Wert Roddy has been here?' Letty said quietly. "'He stopped by on his way to see a man about some land.' Her voice sounded queer and throaty to her own ears. Did it sound unnatural to theirs? Sourdough leaned against the door jamb and spoke with studied casualness. No, he was coming. His roach of red hair looked belligerent. Why, no, how could I? I haven't seen nor heard of him since the last time he was here. I never leave this place and I never get a letter. The smile came back to his face. Oh, of course you didn't. Excuse me. But I don't like that wall-eyed perch, and I ain't aching to see him stop round these here premises or this section. I couldn't help his coming, Sourdough. He just stopped, the same as other cowmen do, on their way to town. Just the same, honey, but different. His eyes were affectionate as they gazed at her. Light and me been fotch up with these other cow-punchers round here, and we know none of them's going to do us no dirt. I ain't so sure about this vingaroon. What's a vingaroon? she inquired. A whip-tailed scorpion found in these parts. The way to treat it is to grind it under your heel on sight. He turned to Lige. If I was you, I'd put a bug in this hombre's ear that he'll do well to make his society a little scarce round here. Lige spoke with thoughtful calm. Twice ain't so much, if he ain't aiming to come no more. I don't want to seem unneighborly, but... He left his sentence hanging in the air. Sourdough began polishing his gun, the while he sang softly another new song. If you come monkeying with my Lula gal, I tell you what I'll do. I'll shoot you up with my forty-four and carve you through and through. End of chapter 10